She's Got Issues uses compelling personal stories to illustrate how politics and policy impact the lives of ordinary people, especially women. On She's Got Issues, we dive deep into the challenges people face on a personal level. Real people, real life, relatable stories. Welcome to She's Got Issues. In this episode, we are going to be talking about education in South Carolina. So, very big topic. We'll probably visit this one more than once because it happens to be a passion of mine. Uh, but we have two guests here today to talk about education in South Carolina with us. They are both board members of the organization SC for Ed. They're teachers in South Carolina, and they've got a lot of um, interesting viewpoints and experience on this topic. So let's introduce our guests. Hello, everyone. My name is Sonny Perry. I am a board member of SC for Ed. Um, I am currently in my fifth year teaching. I teach in York County. Um, I teach ninth grade algebra. Um, I currently serve on the board as a diversity and inclusion officer, so I oversee all of our diversity and inclusion and equity efforts. Um, in addition to the myriad of things that we continue to do with SE for Ed. And a little bit about me, I got into education uh, because I've always wanted to be a teacher since second grade. I've always wanted to have an impact on students the way my teachers had an impact on me. Lisa Ellis is with me. She was one of my uh, teachers in high school who had a huge influence on my life. And I wanted to be able to do what those individuals did for me for other students. And so that's sort of how I got into education. Um, and as I started teaching, I started to see issues that I felt were not in the best interest of students. And I wanted to fight for students of South Carolina as well as the, edu- as well as the educators in South Carolina as well. Hello, everyone. My name is Lisa Ellis. I am in my 20th year or finishing up my 20th year of teaching. I have taught in three different school districts, four different schools. I'm currently in um, Richland 2, which is in Richland County in the Midlands. I love my job. I did not love it this year teaching in a pandemic, um, but I love my job because as a high school teacher, I really get to see the growth of students. And that's the best part of, of the job is really getting to connect with students and watching them become successful through this process. And, and it just is continues to be a pleasure. Sonny is one of my top two success stories, maybe top one. You Maybe you're the the biggest I don't know you know teaching is a wonderful profession if you can you know put up with all of the stuff that comes with it which I think is what we're going to sort of talk about tonight (laughs) yeah definitely so one of the things we do on she's got issues is we tell our personal stories so we help folks connect how policy and you know politics even sometimes connect to our everyday lives. Sometimes folks feel disconnected from that. So we always try to tell stories when we can. Sonny, why don't you tell us a story? Tell your story. Tell us a story that you think exemplifies the current state of public education in South Carolina. Absolutely. So um, I guess the best story I can tell is really just the story of my advocacy journeys. We started SE for Ed three years ago which, you know, that doesn't sound long ago, but in those three years, I mean, I, I think Lisa can probably agree that those three years have felt like 20. And that we've met a lot of people. We've traveled the state, I don't know, probably like three times at this point, um, and just met a lot of teachers. And some of those teachers have just had a very large impact on me. They've, you know, taught 
10, 15, 20 years. They tell me the stories of, you know, how education was when they first started and, and how education is now. And I think when I, you know, when I think about the legislation that has passed over the few years that we've done this or the legislation that has been introduced, the impact that that has had on me and those teachers directly are related to our working conditions a lot of times, our pay, uh, the resources we have available for students. I just don't think people realize how that legislation is impacting their kids and impacting those teachers. Um, and so every year when we put out our legislative agenda, we always ask for the legislature to fully fund base student cost so that we can increase teacher pay, we can increase mental health uh, resources to students, we can increase technology resources for students. Um, and every year we fight for that and it never passes. And so what that has turned into is less and less resources for students. Um, mental health continues to be a major concern. Um, and then you have teachers who, who are being paid what they're worth, who are not getting the resources they need. And it's just exhausting them to try to help students and don't have the tools or they don't have the tools available to do that. Um, and so I think that's the that's the personal story for me is seeing the continuous exodus of teachers and just seeing our students fall behind every year. You know, everyone's talking about the COVID slide, the COVID slide and student learning. That's that slide has been here far before COVID. COVID just, I think, highlighted that that issue was there. And now people are trying to use COVID as the excuse when in reality, our General Assembly and our policymakers are the reason that's there it has nothing to do with COVID. Um, I would say that's probably my personal story in relation to policy and how that impacts education. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that, you know, we if you've followed, which I, I have as well, I've been doing public education advocacy for about three or four years now. And it's the same thing. Like we were talking about mental health resources for students many years ago. We were talking about working conditions for teachers. We had overcrowding was a big problem here in our district and we needed to build additions and new schools. And we, it got so bad. We had teachers working out of closets that had been converted to small classrooms. You know, you talked about the teacher shortage of teachers leaving the profession. Just to put that into perspective for our listeners, for the past several years, 6,000 teachers on average are leaving the classroom in South Carolina, and that's been exacerbated by the pandemic. A lot of parents are fond of saying, well, if they don't like their working conditions, they can just find another job. And it's like, okay, but somebody has to do this job. And when your kid's social studies teacher leaves in the middle of the year, that means somebody else has to pick up that class. And now their planning period isn't available to them anymore. And it's an extra workload and it's an extra two hours on the end of their day. And it's an extra and an extra and extra. So it makes it harder for those who stay to stay. I think it's also, you know, Jody, you made a, a comment, but I think it's also important for people who are not in education to realize that a teacher's working conditions are, are their students' learning conditions. If a teacher is in an overcrowded crowded classroom or a closet or, you know, a situation where they're having to cover for other teachers, that reflects in the student's learning environment. Outside of education, people aren't willing to make that connection in terms of teacher working conditions and student learning conditions. And I think if people were willing to accept that and understand that, we could really make quick strides in improving public education in South Carolina. I think that's a very good point. 
But Lisa, why don't you tell us your story? I mean, I'm sure you've got you've been doing this a long time, so you probably have a lot of <laughs> of examples that kind of sort of put the spotlight on what it's like here in South Carolina. Yeah, I think, um, you know, like I said earlier, I've been in, in teaching in public education for 20 years. And it's not necessarily like Sonny said, he'd wanted to be a teacher since second grade. That was not my path. My path, I sort of joke, wanders all over the place. But I have loved it. And I have realized that it is, you know, been a very rewarding career and sort of fit who I am as a, as a human. But I think that when I look back at the, the 20 years, and I've been in different positions, like I haven't always been a teacher, but I think that reviewing the 20 years of my own journey, the classroom was a very different place 20 years ago. I mean, you know, the, the adage, it takes a village to raise a child was very much a, you know, the staple of the classroom. So like I could make a phone call to a parent and had their support in terms of, hey, you know, little Jimmy is not living up to his potential. Can you help me out? And they'd be like, oh my gosh, we're going to take care of it today. And the next day, little Jimmy would come in and be a completely different student. And so over the course of the 20 years, I've noticed that that has moved away from the village to, oh, everything is the teacher's fault or the school's fault. And then you pile on that oh, we're failing our kids because they're taking these standardized tests and, you know, the teachers are not doing what they need to do. And that, I think, has really changed the landscape and led to the teacher shortage. You know, as a teacher, you have an impact, but you're not the only impact that occurs on students. You think about, you know, their their life at home. You think about the other um, people that they're running into, you know, that sort of thing. And yet the teacher has been like the sole blame for, you know, whether a student is successful or not. And and I always sort of compare it to a triangle. You've got, you know, one point of the triangle is the teacher. One point is the parent. One point is the student. And everybody's got to carry their own accountability to either help the student be successful or prevent the student from being successful. Not that anybody wanted COVID to happen but that was one of the great things back in the spring when COVID happened. I think that we had an opportunity to really look at education in South Carolina and make some much needed changes that we, that teachers have been begging for, for years. Sonny talked about mental health. You know, you talked about equity, you talked about, you know, access to internet, like all of these things that teachers have been saying, we need this help. And all of a sudden, everybody was like, oh, we need all of these things. And yet we haven't seen that come to fruition like we needed it to. SC for Ed came out of my frustration and lack of voice in a profession where we our voice is needed was sort of the trigger for this movement. Yeah, and I think one of the big frustrations that I've seen, you know, based on what you're talking about is that the General Assembly and our, our policymakers will seek input. And they're doing it right now. The, the Department of Education was like, well, we want your input. We have all this COVID money, you know, from the federal government to spend. And we want to make sure that we're investing in things that are really going to make a difference here. So they seek all this input. 
And every year, you know, we go to the state house and we write our senators and our house reps and we tell them, you know, this is what needs to happen. Smaller class sizes, fully fund base student costs. You know, you already mentioned that a list of things and then they debate about it and they don't do it. They do a bunch of other things that that nobody asked for that solve problems that nobody's having. Um, <laughs> especially this year, you know, but because it's become politically fashionable to, you know, um, push on one issue or another instead of the real root causes of what we've got going on. So that's a perfect segue into the next topic. The next question I have for you guys is like, what do we need to change in education? I mean, that's a big topic. I, originally, I was thinking in terms of being like, competitive with other states. I mean, we look at, you know, some South Carolina is ranked, I think, 48th for public education currently. So how do we like move back up? Like, I'm not going for number one just yet, but like maybe middle (laughs) of the pack for the next, like how do we kind (laughs) of... Bump it so up I think a little. the first thing that everyone should understand about the ranking, and I'm not, I am not defending the 48 ranking whatsoever. I, I am an educator in South Carolina. I am a product of South Carolina schools, and as much as it pains me to say this, I understand why we're 48 sometimes. Um, a lot of that is because our state doesn't invest into education the way it should, and when you don't invest in something, it falls by the cracks, and that's what's happening. But also, um, you have to understand that those rankings come from standardized scores. A lot of it comes from standardized scores. Um, in South Carolina, we give every student the opportunity to take SAT, ACT, um, all of those tests, where in other states, that's not the case. Every student is not granted that opportunity. Other states, it may be your high flyers who are taking that. You may have a few, you know, average or what we would call below average students who take the test. But most of the people that are taking the test in other states may be their high flyers in terms of you know actually knowing the content which is why their scores are higher so that has a large impact um on on those rankings and i think people don't realize that so that's part of the reason we're 48 however there are several things that i think need to be changed um for starters i think we need to get away from all the standardized testing and in south carolina especially our school report cards that the state produces the reason they run the schools they the way they run them is because they want a good report card you don't want your school to have a crappy report card, it makes the school look bad, it makes the community look bad, it makes those administrators look bad, it makes the teachers look bad. And so the focus really is, let's hit everything that we're being assessed on, on this report card, which are your standardized tests, those surveys that go out to students and parents, the surveys for the teachers. Um, and so that that is sort of why you see what you see. However, there's a push to do more social emotional learning in schools and to help students gain those soft skills to be successful in work. But we cannot prepare students for standardized tests with the amount of standards we have and focus on teaching them all of these soft skills and do a great job at both. Um, And so I think uh, uh, what would be a game changer, in my opinion, is if we really focused students' grades on the social-emotional piece along with the content. But that means we would have to change the way we do our report cards. That means we'd have to change the way we do our standardized testing. But I think if we want our students to be successful in both, we need to intertwine the both we need to intertwine both of those together and really focus on doing both at the same time throughout the year. But that really would have to change the system. And I I just, I don't know that South Carolina is ready for that type of change yet. So I think that would be a game changer in in regards of 
getting students ready for life after after school. Being people that we want to work with five years Correct. from now. <laughs> Correct. Sonny the visionary. Right now, that's not the focus, you know. Well, and I think what Sonny, you know, Sonny, everything he said was spot on. You know, one of the things that South Carolina did really well a couple years ago was create the profile of the South Carolina graduate. And basically, there's three pillars. There's the, the content knowledge, um, the social skills, and then career and readiness sort of thing. And what Sonny's speaking to in terms of the report card is the problem. So that is great. But the problem is that the, the school report card focuses only on, I won't say only, 80% at the elementary school level is focused on content knowledge because it's all those high stakes SC ready, SC pass. At the high school, it's a little bit less. I think we figured out it was what, 70% because they brought in like the graduation rate. And there's the flaw in the system is that you're, you have this great idea of what a South Carolina graduate should look like, but yet 80% of those three pillars is the state report card and that's all in the high stakes testing. And so the method for getting there is flawed. I see that as a parent too, like with my... Yeah, to me, you know, what I tell students, because I teach an elective, I teach journalism and media broadcast, and so I spend that time working on the other two pillars, the social skills and the career and readiness, because I'm not a tested subject. But to me, those skills are way more important than the content knowledge, because any business will tell you hey, we can teach them what they need to know in being a salesman for us, but we need them to know how to talk to other people. We need them to know how to manage their time effectively. We need them to know how to write, you know, all of those things that often are left by the wayside because you're trying to hit these academic standards for a, you know, one day end of year test. I would also say you know, right now we're underfunding public education by $600 a student. And when you think about what an extra $600 per student would do, we've already talked about mental health. We've already talked about school nurses. You know, we, we, we talk about reading on grade level. To me, that is the game changer. If you fully fund education, what you can do is then limit class sizes. Like you can make your K to, to three grade level classes 15 students and so then by eight by grade three those students are all at least either reading on grade level or above when you've got a first grade class of 30 35 students there's no way that one teacher can get kids reading on grade level there's no way but if you fully fund it then you can lower those class sizes. I, as a high school teacher, will, if, if those students that are coming up all know how to read, I'll take a class size of 30, 35, 40 students because I'm not having to deal with that piece of learning, right? They already know how to read. You know, at that point, they're reading for content. And so it makes my life easier. Um, you know, the mental health piece, the, you know, we, not every school has a school psychologist. And more often than not, those school psychologists are dealing with special ed. They don't even have the time to deal with the mental health, social work, like all of these programs that have come into the school because we're missing, we're not handling it as a society, hunger, um, you know, broken homes, like abuse, all of these things schools are having to address 
and we're having to address it with not enough money and resources to do it. So if you fully fund it, what the state law tells you to, then you can fill in those wraparound services is what we call them to then, you know, once a student is fed and they feel safe, then they're going to learn. Part of the narrative that has been lost is South Carolina is not doing right by its its children because we're not funding it at the level that we need to. And so when you say public schools are failing, you can't say that with fidelity. I think another thing too is, you know, when you're talking about, you know, mental health and just wraparound services in general, every every school has a counselor of some sort. You may know them as guidance counselors. Um, nowadays they're called school counselors. Our, our school counselor uh, to student ratios are not being met right now either. We, there are a lot more students than counselors. Their jobs now are more so focused on doing IGPs or, sorry, individual graduation plans or doing, you know, test testing stuff or just, just stuff that really has nothing to do with student well-being. And so when you don't have the school psychologists or you don't have the mental health counselors and your school counselors don't really have the time to provide counseling, who do the kids go to? Their teachers who are already overwhelmed with testing and you know i'm trying to get students who are in ninth grade to understand ninth grade material but you're on a fourth grade reading level and you're on a third grade math level like i need parents and community to understand that when we say we're not doing right by our children it's not that we don't want to the issue is is that your state your state is not doing right by your children and you're getting upset at us for for doing the best we can with what we have and i think that the pandemic brought all this out because we have been ignoring these things for so long. If you were the typical family, mom and dad work and are relatively successful and stable, you send your kids to school, they come home, but everything's fine. And they don't realize, you know, how many, how these underlying systemic problems for everyone are are bubbling up. I mean, and especially too, like it comes at both ends. If you have, for example, of a gifted learner, you know, your teacher, the teacher is not going to be able to find enrichment activities to kind of bring out that brilliance if there's a, the child next to them is being abused and they're worried, they're, they're worried that they might have to make a report or, you know, there's a child in the class is homeless. Even our housing crisis here in South Carolina, you know, we we have a severe lack of affordable housing. It's especially found in, in the population of young teachers who come to the state to teach. They're recruited right out of school. It's like, come down to South Carolina. It's beautiful. Oh, you love it. The cost of living is way outpaced by your salary, but that's okay. You'll get a roommate or two or three, you know, and then we have folks who've moved here who can't afford to live here. And Well, you know, I think that's so funny because... <laughs> When I moved back to York County, I, so I taught, I started my teaching career in Columbia and then moved to York County, um, which is where I went to college. But I was looking for housing in Fort Mill and I was looking to buy a house. And I was talking to a lady who like just, she just was over this new neighborhood, new development. Um, and so I was talking to her and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm a teacher. And she looked at me and she said, well, you're probably not going to be able to afford any houses here um, because our schools are just so good. But your salary is, is likely not going to be comparable to buying a house here. And I was like, well, that's funny. My job is making the value of homes go up. Yeah, I'm not able to afford these homes. Um, so you're absolutely right. 
And when you when you talk to new teachers, that is one of the number one things that they say. I don't know if I can stick to this because I can't afford to live on my own. Like I have to have a roommate or I have to get married. This profession is just not attractive to you. So, you know, the fact that you brought that up, I mean, that that's a personal story right there. Donnie, do you remember, I was it, I don't think it was last year, I think it was two years ago, where you and I sat down with your monthly paycheck because we were trying to, to give like a specific, yeah. when we were talking about salaries and virtually like the, the starting salary and the early teacher salary, that, to be fair, teaching salaries overall are abysmal. But the particularly before they raised this, it was what, two years ago, because it was before they raised yeah. it to 35000 but I said, Donnie, can we use your paycheck as an example? By the time he had paid his rent, bills, um, student loans, not including cell phone, he had $19 left over to get through the rest of the month. And that was not including groceries. That was not including cell phone. And of course, yep. not including like, hey, let me go out for a nice dinner. We ended up using that as a, as a story to share with people to say, here's the reality of what a teacher salary in South Carolina looks like. But I do, Jody, just for a minute, I want to go back to something you said about the pandemic in the beginning. And I think the, the perfect example of how the pandemic revealed society's issues being band-aided by schools, school districts were not worried immediately about the academic learning. They were worried about students being fed. Yep because we have such a huge number of students in South Carolina that get two of their three meals a day from schools. And then they get their weekend meals through a backpack program. And that was what a lot of school districts, I don't know how many, I know my school district, that was the number one concern was, oh my gosh, how do we get these kids fed? And then how do we make learning work in this new situation? A good way to highlight that is when schools closed that Sunday, a lot of teachers didn't go back that Monday or Tuesday. A lot of them went back that Wednesday because the Monday and Tuesday districts were just trying to figure out how do we feed our communities. We weren't really focused on how do we send work home. Um, and so that's a great way to highlight that is we weren't even asked to come back yet because that was that was the focus. And ultimately that shouldn't be the role of the school, right? That shouldn't be the role of public education, but it has become that because we as a society have not met these fundamental needs. And so when you talk about schools failing in South Carolina, again, they're not failing. They're, they're taking care of all of these issues that they shouldn't have to, and then also teaching. So, you know, I think it's important to realize that, you know, school public education is part of society. It's not, you know, it, it's not a business. It's not a, hey, let's figure out a way to make money you want an educated society, you have to, to fund public education. That's how you get there. You have to take care of all children and their needs if you want that educated society. Or even something as simple as, you know, your car needs a repair. And so you go to the repair shop and there's, first of all, there's someone there. They're, you know, they, they're staffed and the people that are working there are, are capable. Or if you need, you know, lab work done, when you go to the nurse, the nurse knows how to do it. And you know, nobody's fumbling around to try to help you. Uh, little thing, even just things like that, you know, and every job is important. Like we obviously want kids to be successful and have, 
you know, high paying jobs, but like every job is important from the person who, you know, makes the beds at the hotel and, and, and keeps things clean to the, the CEO of a multi-million dollar corporation. Like everybody has a role to play. You know, one thing that I've, I've been preaching is I really think we need to implement more Kate classes um, like career technology trade type courses into our schools. I tell my students all the time, you don't have to go to college to be successful. There are people that do not have a college degree that are making far more money than I am, are taking care of their family way better than I could take care of a family because they just, you know, they're welding and they're making, you know, a crazy amount of money. And that's, that's fine. But I do think that if a student doesn't want to go to college, but wants to go into welding or wants to go into being hotel managers or maybe just even if they want to do housekeeping, whatever the case may be, if we want to prepare them for that, then we need to give them those opportunities, give them those internship opportunities, give them those volunteer hour opportunities so that they can learn those skills and see what do I need to know if I want to do this. You know, other states are doing that. And I think if we want our state to be competitive with those states, we need to um, offer more of those opportunities for our students. Yeah, definitely. That's been a big push here. And that was honestly, that was how we convinced people to raise their taxes to build us more classroom space. As we, you know, we we said part of this is going to be an investment in, in career and technical education. Um, because we have a problem here in our county, and I'm sure you do as well, where the kids graduate and then they leave. So we have an imbalance of workforce here. We have a workforce shortage in a lot of areas and and there's a disconnect and it connects to housing and it connects to education. It's all together. And Jody, they're not just leaving Beaufort County, they're leaving South Carolina. I mean, I've talked with five, I talked with a former student who was a graduate, um, a high school graduate. She's in a different state now and and I'm like, I was so excited about what she's studying in college. I was like, oh my gosh, you need to come back and run for office. We need you here. And she's like, Miss Ellis, I could, I could never come back to this state. They don't want me here. Um, and she was the fifth person in as many days that their plan is to go to state or go to college in state because it's in-state tuition. But then once they graduate, they're out because South Carolina is not the welcoming, successful place for them to stay. And that breaks my heart because these are talented young people that we need to, you know, to, to better our, our state. And I think, you know, that speaks to it is that we, you know, however you want to look at it, we are not a state that is encouraging our young people to stay here. So we have just a few minutes left. Um, I wanted to know, you know, SC for Ed, you've been doing this for about three years, and your main focus is working with the General Assembly to to hear teachers and bring experts in education to the table to help influence policy. So what is on your agenda for the next legislative cycle? I think first and foremost, we've got to figure out a way to retain teachers. Um, sadly, that's going to start with salary. You know, you continue to hear there's a teacher shortage crisis. And what we keep saying is there's not a shortage of teachers. There's a shortage of teachers who aren't willing to work for this salary and in these working conditions. First and foremost, you've got to look at salary. I think you there. we were excited to see that there were several bills introduced that would address more of the retention of teachers. Um, one was, you know, the teacher licensure. Like once you've hit a certain number of years, you no longer have to continue the certification process, which 
again, frees up teachers' time and they don't have to spend as much money on getting that recertification. You know, other things like pulling out, you know, pulling off those other duties as a sign that teachers are always given. To me, that is the first thing that you've got to do is stop the hemorrhaging of teachers from the profession. Because, you know, the options for districts right now is, well, we can either have a bad teacher in the classroom or no teacher. And because they're liable for the well-being of those children, they're always going to choose the bad teacher until we build up a pool of teachers that they can then get rid of the bad teacher to hire a good teacher. I agree with Lisa. That's definitely going to be the focus is the retention of teachers. Um, I also think that we're going to continue to fight for resources for our students. We, I'll be honest, we've not sat down to talk about you know, where we want to go with the legislative um, session, the next one. But just knowing, you know, how Lisa thinks and how I think and how the rest of the board thinks, that's always going to be something we go after um, because we see we see the need for more resources for our students. So we're always going to do that, which which just goes to, again, fully funding that base student cost and doing what the law says and seeing where that takes us. And then if it doesn't work, we find any way to, you know, do what we need to for our students. I definitely think that's going to be part of the legislative agenda for us. This summer, we're doing another road trip. So we're going to go around the state, talk to teachers. SC for Ed, we do what we can for the students and teachers of the state. But the only way we can successfully do that is by going out and talking to stakeholders, talking to teachers, talking to families, and really hearing what are the issues. And then that's what we take back and, and you know discuss when we do our legislative agenda. So that's our focus moving forward is you know collecting all the information we can and then looking at how do we address that in the legislative session. Well, I wish you all a relaxing summer to the extent you'll be able. It sounds like you'll be working through it anyway. But if people want to get involved, they can find you on Twitter, SC4ED. It's F-O-R. And then also you have a public Facebook page uh, that folks who aren't educators can can follow there to see what's going on and lend their support if they are um, public education advocates. We also have a, a website, sc4ed.org, where we try and put all of the things. That's another great, great resource, particularly for people who aren't in education but want to know about the issues that we're dealing with. Excellent. Well, thank you again. Uh, our guests today, Sonny Perry and Lisa Ellis from SC4ed. Thanks so much. Well, that's it. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. She's Got Issues podcast was created as part of the Indie Grits Labs Fellowship Program. The 2021 fellowship project, Home Is, was made possible by Indie Grits Labs and the Columbia Film Society. Many thanks to everyone involved. The views expressed on She's Got Issues belong to the host and guests and do not reflect those of Indie Grits Labs, its affiliates, or employees. The music on She's Got Issues is provided by Upbeat. The track used for our opening and closing credits is called Zoo by Clarity.